You're listening to Tune FM, and this week, UNE PhD student Ariel Lidicott presented her research into gender-inclusive education at an early childhood level at UNE's Research Pathways Conference. So in 2021, a Western Sydney University study found that the majority of New South Wales parents actually support the teaching of gender and sexual diversity, but this was largely for content taught in primary and early secondary school, not early childhood education. Early child care guiding documents support the work of gender inclusivity. Standard 5.3 of the Child Safe Standards mandates people who work with children to pay particular attention to the needs of LGBTQ children and young people, while the Early Years Learning Framework encourages teachers to include resources that include diverse gender identities respectfully. So today I'm joined by Ariel to discuss her research. So just to get us started, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and why you decided to research this topic and why it's so important? Sure. Um, so I'm from Torquay in Victoria and I'm an early childhood teacher. I've been working in the sector for about 14 years now. And it was a few years ago, maybe maybe even about eight years ago, that I first had a child in my kindergarten class who asserted their gender identity as other than their birth sex. And I was a recent bachelor grad at the time and I didn't know what to do. I um, you know, asked my other colleagues and mentor teachers for advice on this topic and I just got the consistent response that we don't really know what to do either. You know, the, the topic wasn't covered in my, in my bachelor degree. And even when I reached out to support services, they said that we don't work with children of this age group. So I was, you know, faced with the prospect of supporting this child and their family who were really reaching out to me for support at that time. And um, I just started researching it through books and the internet and things to work out how I can best, you know, create a space where this child felt safe to be themselves at kinder and also support their family um, really to get their head around being okay with the idea of it as well because they were really um, they were really stuck on it, finding it a little bit challenging as well. So, um, yeah, that just started me on a bit of a borderline obsession journey, I suppose, <laughs> um, researching the topic. And um, other kindergartens in my area knew that I was interested in this topic and other people started to reach out for me to me for support um, with, with children at their own services. And so through that, I really realised that this is not an isolated incident. This is happening really quite frequently. And I think it's those early moments when children start to express their gender identity and whether that's, you know, explicitly through their verbal communication or whether it's, you know, a boy picking up a doll or whatever those sorts of things are, the response that they receive in that moment is really pivotal to their ability to trust themselves and their ability to feel like this is okay. Um, And so I think the more that we educate other teachers and parents as well to allow children to be whoever they are um, when we're going to be more prepared in those those moments um, mm. to be there for them. So why is it so important to you know actually teach kids about this from a young age? Yeah so well my research project um, the second part of it was a case study um, looking at one kindergarten service who was at the time uh, supporting a trans and gender diverse child Uh, I took a whole service perspective, so interviewing all the staff from various levels, including management, um, as well as the parent of the trans child and the child themselves. And we looked at the practices of the service to see what was the most effective in shifting the other children's reactions to this child um, 
occasionally they were, you know, saying things that were, you know, could be considered bullying. Um, but a lot of that was really coming from a place of misunderstanding. And so what we found was that we, when we can explain to children some basic concepts of gender, such as, you know, differentiating between sex and gender, and the example that the teacher used was your sex is your body, but your gender is how you feel on the inside. Those sort of really simple statements, children get their head around very, very easily. It's adults that find it more, more tricky. Um, and so with this increase in education and with the addition of other things such as, you know, children's books showing the children that, you know, people are a chance of gender diverse and it's not just this classmate of theirs, um, really broadens their perspective and we found really reduced the bullying of that child. Mm. Yeah. So is it getting more commonplace in early schools, like, you know, kindergarten, preschool, to mm. have this sort of teaching? It's, it's definitely starting to shift. Um, the first half of the research was a large-scale cross-sectional survey. Um, it included the experiences of 734 early childhood teachers. So trying to understand their beliefs around gender, because that's what I found was the most significant impact as to whether they're actually um, comfortable to talk about this sort of stuff and educate the children and families on it. They have to believe it first themselves. Uh, and it also included their experiences. So out of the out of that cohort, that survey, 70% had a child who they might describe as gender expansive, meaning they sit outside of gender stereotypes, and 28% had had a child who was actively questioning their assigned gender. And so a lot of these teachers in my survey were saying they, they had the same experience that I did, you know, all those, those years ago that I had this experience and I didn't know how to support them. I felt un, unprepared professionally. Um, and so... Yeah, and some of the other teachers were saying, you know, we tried this, we tried this, and some of the practices ex expressed were um, what I would consider gender complex education, which is one of the four forms of gender education. So it is becoming starting to become more frequently approached topic. Uh, also, uh, people who have just finished uni recently, um, I believe that quite frequently uh, the topic of gender diversity is included in their teaching degrees, but more as a small part of an inclusion subject that also looks at things like cultural inclusion, um, gender equity, language inclusion, things like that as well. So it's really only touched on very, very briefly. So while it is starting to become more commonplace, there's still a really, really long way to go. Do we see a, um, a correlation with the type of school and how supportive they are? There were certainly um, people from religious schools that were, even if they had a strong belief and the knowledge that they needed to educate children on gender diversity to allow a child to feel safe, um, people in their management or the hierarchy of the kindergarten didn't allow that practice. So there was definitely that um, at more religious schools. Other than that, I'm not seeing a lot of trends in terms of other types of states. You know, teachers from all states and territories of Australia express this experience. Um, and yeah, all ages as well. Mm. Yeah. So is there much support from a federal level or yeah. even a state government level to support this sort of research and inclusivity in early childhood? Yeah. Well, I think this is the thing. I feel like especially 
you know, the, the, the legal and the medical discourse around gender diversity has really come a really long way in the past decade or so. Um, and that has translated into um, LGBTQIA plus inclusive policies at both federal and um, state levels. You know, it's included in terms of like anti-discrimination legislation, things like that. Um, speaking as a Victorian, uh, in Victoria, uh, the the state government there has some really wonderful policies around it. There's also a really great one in South Australia as well. Um, but what I did actually find was that a lot of these teachers weren't aware of these policies. So even though they were in place, they're not going to really impact practice until they're, the teachers are directly um, made aware of them and shown how to shift their practice to work in line with that policy. Mm. Yeah. So how can we be proactive in this regard? Mm. Uh, I think talking to people um, that have experience in this area, especially if there's anyone in your life who is trans or gender diverse themselves, asking if they feel comfortable to have a conversation about it. Um, when I first had this child in my kindergarten class years ago, my housemate at the time uh, was non-binary and they're also an anthropologist. So I was super interested in this sort of stuff. Mm. So I was really blessed to be able to go home and speak with them about the topic. And because I had that friendship with them, I was able to ask questions that I was curious about but yeah the more we can talk about it I think the more normal it's going to become um, but yeah speaking to your other colleagues as well your managers things like that and definitely reaching out to support services to get some more knowledge around the topic and how it can impact your practice. Mm. There's a lot of people who think that you know teaching kids about gender and sexuality at an early age is going to make them into that how do we respond to that yeah that's such a great question that is absolutely something that we see especially in the like mainstream media i think that's something that sort of comes up a bit um and i think from an educational especially early childhood perspective um developmentally appropriate practice is something that has been really permeating um early education pedagogy and discourse for such a long time and that really positions the child as innocent which leads to a feeling of like moral panic around the topic of gender or sexuality. So although we have a lot of wonderful more modern theories that um, offer really great frameworks for including gender diversity, um, they seem to have not really transitioned into practice so much. But I think that age-old debate around like, is it nature or nurture that creates the person, that creates their identity and their personality and things like that, I think we all realise at this point that it's not one or the other, it's definitely both. And that's what we call the, the biosocial model of development, not just gender, in all different areas. So as babies, we are born into this world with certain personality types, certain dispositions. And um, I personally believe that we're born with our gender and our sexual identity as well. And that and then we are then, you know, influenced and morphed as our experience grows, as we, we interact with the world. So I don't think that gender is something that you can catch or <laughs> um, or even it's the same with like when we had debates around um sexual like sexuality diverse sexualities across the world people were worried that you were going to all of a sudden become um lgbt as a result of learning about it and it's just like i'm not going to become a really confident person just because i've met another confident person it just doesn't doesn't work that way uh and certainly in terms of the survey out of all of those teachers that talked about their experience of including um a trans or gender diverse child in their class as well as the, the case study as well, not one of these teachers at any point 
expressed that another child in the class came out as trans or gender diverse as a result of learning about gender diversity. So it was definitely just not something that happens. Um, the a few of the children were like, oh, well, you know, our friend now has a different name. Well, if they get to have a different name, maybe I want to try a different name. And this is the thing, you know, allowing children just that opportunity to explore with different uh, gender expressions, with different names, things like that. But what you'll tend to find is that they don't stick long term. It's a it's a momentary play for them. And, and that's absolutely important to to support and accept as well. So, yeah, it's definitely a a thing that I hear um, that people seem to be worried about, but it's certainly not something that I actually see in practice. Mm. I'm curious because I know there's been a lot of studies about, you know, supporting your, your teenagers and things like that, how it can really reduce the the, the uh, suicide rate and the mm. mental health rate. Is there an, a significant decrease in that when they're supported from a really early age? Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't really have longitudinal studies to be able to, I can't really say that based on, evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love those studies to be done in the future. But how I see it and how I feel and how I've noticed in the the children that I've worked with is that a lot of people who are coming out as trans or gender diverse in their teenage years, a lot of them say, I felt this way for a really long time. Maybe I didn't have the language exactly to explain uh, who I was or how I felt, but I've known that there was something maybe a little bit different about me for a really long time. And they've had that level of like needing to hide it for fear of um, potential shame or um, being ostracized by their friends or family. And so I think when children are told that their environment, that their caregivers, that their educators are inclusive of them and welcoming of whoever they express themselves to be that reduces that level of shame and that needing to sort of hide who you truly are and I think it's that shame over a long period of time there is research around the impact of shame on brain development and it can really lodge in the developing brain as trauma and so I think if we can create the next young children generation of not needing to have that level of shame, I do think it would have a huge impact on those mental health statistics. Because mm. we're very much at sort of the start of a cultural shift. You know, mm. when, I, when I was in school, we were not taught about any of this. If you mm. learned about it, you learned about it from your friends on the playground or from the internet. Mm. How do we keep going with this cultural shift? Where do you think we will be in, you know, the next five, ten years? That's a big question. I wish I had a. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I wish I, I had a magic ball to be able to tell you that. <laughs> Where do you hope will be? In the Where next do I five hope years? will be? I think I think we do have to accept that you know that change often doesn't happen in the linear fashion. It's often you know two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. But I really hope that we can develop into an inclusive society where people don't see the need to label or to tunnel anybody so quickly or to put them into boxes and restrict who they are. I hope that we can develop into a society where um, we approach somebody with an open mind and we allow them to tell us who they are. Um, Yeah. 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 (laughs) And for for people who want to learn more, for any early childhood educators, early childhood educators listening um, who might want to be more involved in this, where can they go? Yeah. So I offer um, full day professional development sessions for early childhood services as well as one-on-one coaching. So my website is genderinclusionconsulting.com. You can reach out there um, to me there 
Uh, you can find my email address, my phone number. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone over the phone even if you're um, yeah, looking at supporting a trans or gender diverse child in your class. I'm happy to support anyone in this area. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today, Ariel. Mm. It's been really amazing and I hope that it's been enlightening for some people out there. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me and covering this really important topic. Thank you.